You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. We're going through the Bible verse by verse, which is the best way to do Sunday church, right? It's actually studying our Bibles. And a fascinating story. We're looking at this life of a man named Jacob and how God's powerful hand is upon this man's life. And today, the title of the message is Regeneration in the House of God. Regeneration. What does that word mean, regeneration? Renewed, transformed, born again, new and improved, uh, the Jacob 2.0, whatever you want to call it, right? A new life. And here's what we're going to learn today, that regeneration, uh, having a transformed, blooming, flourishing life happens when you spend time in the house of, house of God. And today that will come through loud and clear. Um, <clears throat> uh, find your way to Genesis chapter 35 and let me set the stage as we, as we do. We've been looking at this life of a, of a man named Jacob. Uh, Jacob, his name means deceiver. It means heel catcher. Uh, he's been a swindler from birth. And God has chosen this man... To make a covenant with him. And we have been watching this process as God is trying to get this man who is very talented and very stubborn, very strong-willed, a self-willed man. And God is trying to get him to enter into an abiding relationship with his creator. It is oftentimes the more gifted that we are that the more stubborn we are the more strong-willed we are. And uh, you can see it in children from birth, can't you? When a strong-willed child, uh, I see a father here laughing. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, if you've had one, I've had one. Uh, strong-willed children, right? Well, Jacob was a strong-willed man. Headstrong. And his heart, you know, his hard head had really made this process of walking with God unnecessarily slow, Uh, unnecessarily arduous and painful. And Jacob's life has been a life just inflicted with a lot of needless pain. Um, His obstinance led him to tremendous battles in his life. It started early uh, with his brother Esau And he tricked and deceived his brother so many times that his brother Esau wants to kill him. That's not good. That's needless pain. So he goes up to Haran for 20 years and lives with Uncle Laban. And all his tricking and all his scheming and all his deceiving, it ruins his relationship with Laban. And now Laban wants to kill him. And Jacob has to get the heck out of Dodge, and he leaves Haran, and he comes back into the promised land where God had called him to be. And there he's got Laban on one end that wants to kill him, and he's coming back home to Esau on this end that wants to kill him. And there he's there at the mountains of Gilead, and Laban comes pursuing him, and Jacob is in trouble. And he calls out to God, God, help me. And God, in his amazing grace, comes down to help Jacob. And how does he help him? In the most unusual way. God comes in the form of a man, and he wrestles Jacob all night long. Why? To show you, to show me, to show all of us strong-willed individuals, this is what, Jacob, you've been doing with me your whole life. This physical wrestling match that you're in with God is a picture of what your whole life has been. And Jacob finally cries out and says, Lord, please bless me. I'm a mess. 
And God says, Jacob, I will bless you. And he does. But he does it in the most interesting way. He dislocates his hip. On the night when his brother Esau is coming with 400 men to kill him. He dislocates his hip. How is that a blessing? Well, because now Jacob can't run in his own strength anymore. And now Jacob has to depend 100% on who? On God. And God says, I got this for you, Jacob. What does God have to do to get your attention? He had to go to great lengths to get Jacob's attention. And there, hamstringing Jacob, if you will, Jacob now trusts in the true and living God. And uh, God tells Jacob, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, deceiver, heel catcher, trickster. Now your name will be Israel. Israel? Governed by God is what Israel means. Governed by God. Uh, you will allow me to lead and guide your life and you'll have a good life. You'll, you'll be fruitful. You'll prosperous. And he has a plan and a covenant that God wants to make with Jacob and all this work that God is doing in Jacob's life, if you'll just trust me, if you'll be governed by God. And so Jacob says, okay, and, and he's inspired. But then he goes down into the promised land, into where he's supposed to go, and instead of going all the way, he stops at Shechem. And there at Shechem, uh, he's not really where he should be, and bad things start happening. His daughter Dinah, his only daughter, gets raped by one of the men of Shechem. Shechem was a small town. By one of the nobles of Shechem. And this man, after he rapes her, says, oh, I love her. I want to marry her. And he spoke tenderly to her. But <clears throat> they couldn't, you know, he, he raped her for crying out loud. And his brothers were outraged. So two, excuse me, his sons were outraged. So two of Jacob's sons do the most despicable thing you can ever imagine. They come in the name of God and they say, well, you can marry our sister if you get circumcised and become uh, part of our faith, part of our tribe as we worship God. Circumcision was a picture of cutting off the flesh so that you might live to the uh, to the glory of God. <clears throat> and, and it was the sign of the covenant between uh, God and, and, and Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, his people, Israel. And they said, if you get circumcised, you can, you can marry our sister. So the men of Shechem say, okay, and they all get circumcised. Shechem, uh, the, you know, all the men of Shechem, the, the, the man who raped Dinah was the leader, you know, and so he has all his people do it. And when the men were really sore after the circumcision, the sons of Jacob go in and murder all the men. Oh my goodness. How wicked. Using God's name in vain. Being in a horrible witness of God. Think about it. Your sons are murderers. And Jacob says, we have to get out of here. And they leave Shechem. And this is where we pick up our story today. Jacob is deeply, deeply grieved. Not only has his daughter been raped, but his 11 sons did the most disgraceful thing. A wicked religious atrocity. And where do you think, what is going on in, jo in, in Jacob's heart right now? How do you think he's feeling about himself? How do you think he's feeling about life? <clears throat> How do you think he's feeling about his witness as a child of God? How do you think he's feeling about being Israel instead of Jacob? How do you think? Oh, he's depressed. He's feeling like a failure. And here, deeply grieved, here we see Jacob is confronted with his sinful depravity, the depravity of his family, and the bad fruit in his life. Have you ever been there? Oh my gosh, my kids don't even know God. They don't even know God's heart. Look how they have responded. They took God's name and drug it through the mud. <clears throat> 
They don't even know God's heart. And I should be so much further along. I've been a bad parent. I haven't discipled my kids properly. What a mess my life is. And all everyone knows. I say that I have this relationship with God. And look at my life. It looks like a train wreck, man. This is where we pick up where Jacob's life is. Can you imagine being in this situation? I can. I've been there. And look at where, let's, let's, let's open our Bibles. Uh, Genesis 35, are you there? <clears throat> you got your finger on the spot? Give me a big amen if you're there. <clears throat> and speaking of amen, let's bring our hearts before the Lord as we open his word. Uh, Jesus, we come before you. Uh, we are very, uh, just in a spot where we can relate with Jacob right now. This pain, this anguish that he's feeling. Lord, help us to learn from your word now. How we might move forward when we've messed up so badly. How we might understand your heart, your will for us, Lord. For we're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. We're prone to leave the God we love. So Lord, speak to us today. Allow your spirit to minister to us individually. That we might hear from you. We prayed in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Here, sorry, my voice is a little rough today. Uh, here, uh, Jacob in this horrible situation. We're going to start in chapter 35, but I want to back up just a couple verses. Let's go back to verse 30 of chapter 34, uh, just to get the flavor for what Jacob is going through. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, the two boys who murdered all of the people in Shechem, you have troubled me. That's an understatement. By making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among all of Canaan, all the Canaanites and the Perizzites, among everywhere, right? I'm a bad witness of God. And since I am few in number, all these nations are going to gather together against me and kill me. And we're going to be destroyed, me and my household, all of us. We're in trouble, guys. I mean, do you realize what you've done? Do you realize how bad a witness you have been? Do you realize how wicked and deplorable in the name of God you are murderers in the name of God? Do you realize what you've done? Look at verse 31. And they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? How much repentance do you hear there? None. Which reveals that there's tension between Jacob and his own boys. And there's no repentance where there should be repentance. Which means that his sons don't even know the heart of God. And they don't know how wickedly they've drugged God's name through the mud. And what do you do when this is your life? What do you do when you're supposed to be Israel governed by God? And here you are. Your life is a total pigsty. What do you do? Well, look what God does. Chapter 35, then God said to Jacob, how amazing, right? God speaks to Jacob. Are you kidding me? In the midst of all this filth, in the midst of all this depravity, in the midst of, uh, put that other slide up for me, this total depravity that's on his life, in the midst of all of this, what does God do? Who comes looking for who? God comes looking for Jacob, and God speaks to Jacob, and take a look, powerful verse. We're going to spend a few moments, well, more than that. We're going to spend a few minutes on verse 1. Take a look at it. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Go where? To Bethel. Remember the place Bethel? When over 20 years ago, you were running from Esau because you had just deceived him again and he wanted to kill you and your life was in total trouble and I saved you? Remember that place? Oh yeah, yeah. Go back there. 
And some interesting things God does here. For one, I am in awe of, of God's mercy and grace here on Jacob. It's incredible. Uh, Jacob is feeling like a failure. Uh, no doubt he is just in tremendous pain of how he is, he's disgraced God. And can God even use my life now? I mean, after what I've done, I mean, uh, how could he love me? How could he forgive me? How could he use my life? How could I ever be Israel? How could I ever be a new man in God? Seems impossible. And I want you to know this is a dangerous place to be. When you are in the pain and honest reflection of your sinful depravity and the bad fruit in your life. I should be so much farther. I'm a woman. Now I'm 27. I'm 30. I've, oh, and I've slept around all these different relationships. And now I've got no fruit in my life. And now I just, I mean, I'm not even close to being where I want to be. Or, or I'm a parent and my kids are in high school and all oh, things. I haven't been... And we just see the pain of it. And that's a dangerous place to be because there when we are confronted face to face with our depravity and how our walk with God isn't what it should be, the enemy will really put the screws to us and he'll say, are you, you call yourself a Christian? You call yourself Israel? You're not Israel. You're not governed by God. You're not walking with God. God doesn't care about you. Look at your life. You think, I mean, come on you hypocrite. Why don't you just quit this charade of, of being a child of God? Look at your family. Come on. Look at your life. You're not where you should be. And if God would leave us alone in that position, we would fall to our sure and total demise. We would give up, we would walk away, we would say, ah, you're right, I'm a loser, and we would just run headlong into sin. The Bible says it is like a dog returning to its vomit. Think about that imagery. I know it's gross. <laughs> but the dog vomits because it ate something that made it really sick. And then after it barfs it up, it goes, kind of hungry. And it eats the thing that made it sick. And can I tell you something? God gives us that parable. That's a proverb. God gives it to us. Why? Have you ever thought, well, I sinned. I blew it. I'm just going to go get hammered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love the honesty. Uh, or I've lusted. I'm just going to, well, I already did it. I might as well just go all in. Or I've stole. Well, I might as well just, or whatever, right? And, and God says, don't you see? That's like a dog going back to its vomit. And left alone there in our despair, in our brokenness, we would be headlong for sure and sudden destruction. But God, but God does not leave us there. And God comes to Jacob in his total despair and he gives him some amazing instruction. It is so powerful. Let's break it down together. Uh, there, are, uh, there are four instructions that, that God gives Jacob here uh, and I call them the, God's four instructions for the weary. Let's take a look. What is the first instruction he gives them? The first verb. See if you can find it. Verse one, what is it? Arise, arise. Uh, he, God says, Jacob, get up, get up. Uh, wallowing in your failure is not going to help you at all. Complaining about how messed up your family is and feeling bad that you haven't been the dad you should have been and, 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 all the, that's not going to help anything. Jacob, arise. Get up. And so important. I want you to know, wallowing in our failure destroys the human soul. Don't do it. 
and the enemy will put the screws to you and try to get you to focus on the failure, and I, there's no, it just it does no good. And God tells Jacob, Jacob, don't focus on the failure. Arise, get up. Get up uh, uh, and get moving. Uh, brush it off and move forward. Yes, you fell into sin, but don't sit there and wallowing in the failure. And I want you to know, if you are here today and Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, this message is for you. You're going to stumble. You're going to mess up. And when you do, God's instruction is, get up. Don't stay there. Get up quickly and move forward. Uh, He tells Jacob, uh, hey, yes, you've sinned, but don't sit there wallowing in it. Uh, Get up. And one of the things that we have to learn as Christians is that we never walk with God by our righteousness. We walk with God, what? By his righteousness. And that's hard for us to learn. In the book of Romans, Paul devotes an entire chapter to this, Romans chapter 5. And he tries to teach us this principle that is all through the Bible, that we stand in grace. That we stand on a foundation with God, not on our ability, but on God's grace. Do you know what grace is? God's unmerited favor. Do you know why Jacob feels like he can't move forward right now? Because he's standing on his own performance. And he has nothing to stand on. And if we ever stand on our own performance, we'll be in the same place where we just go, I can't do this. I might as well give up. I might as well just go headlong in because I give up. And, and, And God would want us to know, the Bible is crystal clear, we stand in grace. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are justified in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that we are made perfectly righteous. And it has nothing to do with our performance. It has everything to do with with Jesus' life. We are brought into Jesus' life. We are given his righteousness as a free gift. And therefore, we stand in his grace, uh, his unmerited favor. We're prone to to wander. We're prone to sin. We're prone to wallow in our sin and our failures uh, instead of walking in grace. And we all experience this. Maybe you have a problem with greed. And you're just a greedy little piggy, man. And everywhere you go, it's about what I can get. (laughs) And you've become so tired of it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I did it again. Maybe you're a A big ego. And everywhere you go, it's your ego enters the room before you do. 30 feet before you walk in, your ego's already there. (laughs) And you've just become painfully aware of how ugly that is one more time. Maybe you're a spender, you're a materialist, and you're just materialistic, and, and you get your visa bill, and you go, oh, you fake. Maybe you're a lust monster and you just one more time have lusted again and, and you feel the, ga- the guilt and the weight and the thought life that goes along with it. And you're going, oh man, I want to be Israel, but I'm such a Jacob. I want to be governed by God, but I'm such a swindler, man. Maybe you're a gambler. And one more time, you said you wouldn't do it, but there you went. And you can't believe you failed again. And you feel like you're never going to make it. And you're looking at your failures and you're beating yourself up. And may I want you to know, God would say to you, get up. Get up. Arise. Don't stay there. A second instruction he gives us is what? Go where? Go to Bethel. Do you know what Bethel means? Beth means house in Hebrew. El means God. It's two Hebrew words put together. Go to Bethel, the house of God. Get up from your sin and go to the house of God. Why? 
Why? I mean, wait, let me clean myself up first. No, it doesn't work that way. Go messy, because you'll always be messy. Get up and go to the house of God. Why would I go to the house of God? Can I tell you why? Listen to me. Let me have your full, undivided attention. We go to the house of God because that's where God's word flows freely. That's where God's word is taught. That's where God's truths are proclaimed. That's where God's promises are revealed. And that is where the light shines in the darkness, where our vision is restored. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. The world tells us a very different story when we fail, when we mess up, when we fall into that sin one more time. You know what the world tells us? Nothing wrong with that. That's the way you're made. You were what? Boy, you knew that. You were born this way. Don't even try to resist sin. You were born this way. Give up and give into it. And it is in the house of the Lord that we hear a different message. Do not give up and give in to your sin. And yes, you were born sinful, but that is not my path for you. I want you to ponder this. Uh, the word sin, what a, what, a, what a word. What does it mean, sin? Well, its original origins, the etymology of the word, is missing the mark. Missing the mark, what does that mean? Sin is missing the mark. It's an archery term. Imagine you're shooting for a bullseye. Your name's Israel. You're shooting for a bullseye. And you just miss the target completely. As a matter of fact, the bullseye's over here, and somehow the arrow went that way. <laughs> Missing the mark? What does that really mean? What is the mark? Let me ask you, what is the mark? Let me hear from you. What is the mark? God's righteousness. What else did I hear? God's ways, perfection. If we say the mark is perfection, uh, and it is, uh, but, but if we say the mark is perfection, it gets so far out of reach and it's not even possible. I want you to know that's not, that's not, for the application, that's really not what we're talking about. Missing the mark. What does it mean? Well, let me, let me, let me summarize it in this. Your life was meant to know God. You were created by God, and you were created for God. God, you're, God loves you. And he wants you to walk with him and to know his ways, and he wants your life to glorify him. Everything that God makes was made to glorify him in its perfect state. So we see the sunrise in the morning, and what do you do? Oh, man, God, you're glorious. Look at the radiant beams breaking through the darkness into the dawn. Lord, you're amazing. Or you see the, mountain caps, the mountains capped with snow, and what do you say? Oh, the glory of God. Or you see a, a, a hawk soaring in the thermals effortlessly in total graceful glory. You go, God, you're amazing. Or you see a baby come out of the womb and it's got eyelashes and eyebrows and fingernails that are this big and, and you just go, God, you're glorious. Or you look up into the Milky Way galaxy at night and you see all the stars and you just fathom and you go, God, you're glorious. Can I tell you something? Your life is meant to do the same thing. God made you to be something of substance, something significant, something impactful, something that would reveal God's glory. And to do that, all you have to do is walk in God's ways. And he will bring it to pass. I was at the car dealership this week. And I was standing at the parts counter. 
buying a part for my truck. And I had waited a long time for the guy behind the counter to help me, and he's finally got helping me. And as he's helping me, you know, he's looking up part numbers and all this stuff, it's taking some time. And I hear this woman behind me, and I hear a little child behind me. Mommy, can we go? Can we go now, please? And I hear this woman, and she says, oh, look at this. Here's the coffee machine. You want to help me do a coffee? That looks like fun. And I hear this little boy's attitude change from, oh, okay, and go from complaining to like, oh, that looks fun. And she comes, and they, I hear in this, again, I haven't seen her yet. I'm just looking at the parts counter. And she says, okay, well, where do you think we should start? He says, I want to push this button. She says, well, what, if you push that button, where's the coffee going to go? So where should we start? And he goes, oh, with a cup. And she goes, good job. You are so smart. <laughs> and so he grabs the cup and she says, well, where should we put the cup? And I, I haven't seen anything yet. I'm all just hearing this behind me, right? Where should we put the cup? And right here, mommy, that's, how did you? You're so smart. And I'm just listening to this, right? And it's like, oh. <laughs> you know? So the guy turns and finishes looking at my part, and he goes to get my part, and I turn around for the first time. And I see this woman, and she's pregnant out to here. And she's got a kindergartner at the coffee cart with her there. It's a little vending machine, you know, pushing the button. And I look back, and I say to her, you are one incredible mother. I have just, I've been listening to you for the last minute or two, and the way that you affirm your child and speak to him and build him, you are pouring life into him, you are affirming him, you are just one incredible mother. And her face lights up and goes, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And as she's saying that, guess who comes walking up? Her 13-year-old son who doesn't know anything that we're talking about, hasn't heard anything, and he's bored from being at the car dealership. He comes up, and you know what he does? He kisses his mom on the cheek and puts her, his head on her shoulder at 13. I just thought, who is this woman? <laughs> Can you come teach a parenting class at the Mission Church? Right? It's like, amazing. And you say, Dave, what, what are you talking about, Dave? What are you talking about? Can I tell you what I'm talking about? She is glorifying God. All I could think about was God, when you made women, when you made moms, you made the most incredible creature ever. And her life was glorifying God. And she's pregnant out to see her. I said, Oh, you're having another child? She says, Yeah. She goes, It's our fourth. I've got three boys. I go, I've got three boys. And a girl came number four. And she goes, oh. And, I just, and, and in 1988, I went to China with my wife, Lisa. I had a Yamaha dealership at the time. And a Yamaha had sent us to Japan. And then we were going to China. And it was part business, part pleasure. And we went to the Beijing Zoo. It was right before, you remember, in 1988 or 89, it was the Tiananmen Square uh, revolution, right? And it was right before that. And it was before China was more of a third world country at that time, before all the buildings and everything they've had that they have now. And we went to the Beijing Zoo. And I tell you what, it was the most depressing thing I've ever seen. It was sorry. Yeah, I mean, it was pathetic. And I remember this. It scarred me. I went to the you know, these animals are just treated horribly. And no wonder, I mean, the people were treated horribly, right? Uh, and, and I went to the, we went to the uh, polar bear exhibit. And it's this giant pit, like a big, huge swimming pool, very deep, and it's just dirty. And instead of the polar bear being white, he's kind of yellowish, dingy. And the water in the polar bear exhibit was like soylent green. It was just defiled, right? Uh, so much so that you couldn't swim in it. You sure couldn't drink it. And it's hot out, and this polar bear is just so hot. And there's people pouring soda from on top of the enclosure down into the polar bear, and the polar bear's there with the soda pouring into its mouth. Disturbing. Can I tell you what that is? That is missing the mark. That polar bear was designed to show the majesty and splendor walking through deep, deep snow, being a 
king of the snow patch, right? I don't know what he call it, but uh, <laughs> living in the glory, revealing the glory of God. And this was missing the mark. Can I tell you something? It disturbed me. And when you see a man today who's given over to sexual immorality, so much so that he's become just a perverse creature and he's now molesting children, do you know what that is? That is missing the mark. You were meant to be something so much more significant, something substantial, and you've missed the mark. Think about Jeffrey Epstein. All the power and the, the talent and the abilities that God had given him, what did he do with it? Well, he radically missed the mark. What in the world? How does it happen? When you see a parent who is so consumed with their own selfishness that they have no time for their own children, do you know what that is? It's missing the mark. And a father is so busy with his life that he's going golfing instead of knowing his kids. Spending all his time making money instead of knowing his kids or a, any parent, a woman, man, whatever. Missing the mark. Or when a person is so confused, they cannot even tell if they're a male or a female. And they're living a life of torment and pain and gender confusion that comes from all that confusion. And it's just so painful. Do you know what that is? That is missing the mark. You are meant to be something substantial. Something that glorifies God. And you're radically missing the mark. When a person has such a victim mentality... That they can't even take responsibility for their own actions. And they expect someone else to take care of them. And instead of feeding others, they want someone to feed them their whole life. Do you know what that is? It's missing the mark. And God's heart is broken. I didn't create you for this. I created you for greatness. You're meant to walk with me, to know me, and to be something substantial, that you would be a builder of men, a builder of women, a builder of lives, that you or your life would just reflect the glory of God because you know me. And the world will tell you this is normal. Don't fight it. You were born this way. Just give in to it. And you will miss what? The mark. And we have to go up to the house of God. Because there the lies are broken. There the darkness has light turned on. There the truth of God's word is proclaimed. That says, hey, I know you've blown it. I know you're messy. I know you've made a mess of things. I know you're struggling. I know your kids aren't where they should be. But listen, I've got plans for you. Here's my mercy and grace. I will cleanse you of your sin I will wash you I will change you I will transform your life walk with me and the light of God's word and the wisdom of God's word shines brightly in the house of God and it illuminates our path so that we do not walk in darkness on trip on things that cause us to stumble in the dark and instead we have the light of God and we walk in the glorious liberty of the children of God. To victory and to prosperity by his grace and by his mercy. This is God's will for us. And it happens in the house of the Lord. God tells Jacob, Jacob, yes, you fell. Yes, you blew it bad. Yes, it's ugly. Yes, your sons are murderers. But I still got plans for you. It is not over. Get up. Do not wallow in your failure. Get up and go to the house of the Lord. And I will speak to you there. 
And my light will shine truth into your darkness. And I will begin to transform your life in the house of the Lord. Four instructions for the weary. We looked at the first two. Number one, get up. Number two, go to the house of the Lord. What's the third one in verse, verse one? The third verb. Dwell. Dwell there. What does dwell mean? Live there. Live in the house of the Lord. Live in the house of the Lord. Where my presence is. What is he saying? Jacob, I want you to live in my presence. Make knowing me the center of your life. Jesus taught the exact same thing. John chapter 15, verse 3, it says, Jesus speaking, Now you are clean by the word which I have spoken unto you. What's that? Yes, you're saved. You've been, you're, you've been taken from the depths of sin, and you're now my kids. Now you're clean through the words that I've spoken unto you. Now abide in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. You take a branch off the tree, I don't care how many avocados are on that branch, what are they? Dead. They're dead. And nothing, nothing can happen unless that branch is abiding in the tree. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine and neither can you unless you abide in me. And God is telling Jacob, Jacob, get up, go to the house of the Lord and dwell in my presence. Make it a part of your everyday life. Feeding regularly on God's word. Bathing daily in God's grace. And looking deeply into God's love for you. Because it will transform your life. Do you know as we walk with God. We find that we have to stand in his grace. Over and over and over again. Do you know why? Because we fall over and over and over again. And we will always stand in grace, in his righteousness. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Bible goes through great lengths to teach us this because we want to stand on our own performance. But when we stand in God's grace, we realize the depth of God's love for us. And the Bible tells us that we're not to frustrate God's grace. Paul actually told that to Timothy. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. What does that mean? I do not frustrate the grace of God. Interesting phrase. I do not frustrate the grace of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that we allow it to flow freely into our life. Let me illustrate for you. Let's say that um, I do something stupid, sinful against my wife. And I come to her, and we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to go on a date on Friday, and I blew it, man. I did something wrong, and, and uh, now it's Friday afternoon. We're supposed to have a date tonight, and I come to her, and I say, baby, I'm so sorry. I really messed up. Uh, please forgive me. And she says, Dave, no big deal. You mess up all the time. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for the apology. No big deal. And I say, oh, no, no. Uh, I got to do better. I got to do better. Uh, we can't go out tonight. Wait till I do better. And she says, Dave, it's okay. I've forgiven you. Uh, let's just go out tonight. Let's have a good time. Uh, no, no. I'm not going to go out with you tonight. I, 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 can't, I can't take your forgiveness. I got to wait till I do better. What am I doing? I'm frustrating her grace, right? I'm frustrating her grace. And God says, Paul would say, do not frustrate the grace of God. Listen, it's forgiven. I want to go out to dinner with you tonight. I want to have a good time. I want to be close with you. Uh, do not frustrate the grace of God. 
Get into the house of the Lord. There you will hear my incredible love for you. There you will hear my plans for you. There you will hear, no, you, you, this isn't normal. You're not born this way. I've got a plan for you. I have amazing things I want to do in your life. And when you hear that, you know what you'll do? What's the, what's the fourth instruction he tells him, Jacob to do here? Verse one. What's the fourth one? What's he say? Make an altar. Make an altar to, to God. Build an altar there to worship God. Do you know what an altar is? An altar is a place where we just pour our heart out to God in worship and appreciation. Where we just say, God, you're amazing. Thank you. Your grace is unbelievable. I'm the happiest guy in the world because I deserve punishment and I get blessing. I deserve to be given up on, and instead you invest in me and invest in me and invest in me. Your mercies are new every morning. God's grace, his unmerited favor pouring into my life. Lord, you're amazing. And the altar is the place where we worship God. Do you want to know something incredibly strange? Jacob has been a follower of God for a lot of years. He has never built one altar to God. Crazy, crazy, all these years, Jacob has been a believer in God, but he's never been a worshiper of God. Big, big difference. Jacob never made an altar to God until after he wrestled with God and he came to Shechem. He made his first altar after all that time. And God tells him here, uh, well, think about it. 20 years prior, Jacob had been to Bethel. His brother Esau wanted to kill him 20 years prior. And he had been to Bethel. And God spoke to him there and made the Abrahamic covenant, reaffirmed that Abrahamic covenant with him and showed him this vision of, hey, I'm going to bring you up into heaven. You're going to be in a relationship with me. And he has the vision of Jacob's ladder, right? Pretty significant. And Jacob finishes that and goes, wow, this was amazing. And you know what he builds? A monument, a pillar. Not an altar. Abraham built altars everywhere he went. The first thing Abraham would do when he went to a new land, built an altar, established a place of worship. Why? Because his heart was full with God. Isaac, everywhere he went, he built an altar. Not Jacob. Jacob hasn't built an altar. And God says, Jacob, go build an altar. And Jacob will, because he realizes what a failure he's been. And what does he experience? God's grace and mercy and abundant blessing and saying, hey, Jacob, I still got a plan for you. And Jacob's now heart is now moved. And God says, now go worship me. Go make an altar. The altar is the place we come and we bring our hearts before God. And we just say, God, you're amazing. The altar is the place where we come to God in prayer. And we say, Lord, please forgive me. I want to follow you, but I messed up again. The altar is the place where we come to God and we say, God, our nation is a mess and we can't fix it. We need you. And if we really believe this, we will come to the altar and pray and say, God, help. The altar is the place where we sing songs of praise because we cannot believe God is so incredibly merciful and gracious to us. The altar is the place where we bring, our, bring God our very best offerings just out of gratitude for all that he's done for us. Lord, I give back to you out of the hyperabundance of what you've given to me. Lord, I want to put you first in my life. I want to put you first in my finances. Lord, I come and I worship you. The altar is a place of worship. And this is God's instruction to the weary. May we pay attention because all of us will stumble and fall like Jacob did. And here's God's instruction when you're weary. Get up. Do not wallow in your sin. Go up to the house of God. There you will hear. There you will remember my promises, my truth, my light will shine in the darkness. It will let you know that you are meant for more than lusting. You are meant for more than buying a new house. You are meant for more than being an ego head. You are meant 
to glorify me and you'll hear my promises and you'll hear my truth and you'll hear my love for you and then dwell there, abide in me and learn my ways and learn how to walk in this path and then build your altar there where you will worship me out of the abundance and overflow out of your heart. This is God's instruction to the weary and it is wise and profound. And here God restored Jacob's vision, restores weary Jacob, and Jacob goes to Bethel and he does these things. Look at verse 2. Look how profound it is. Look what what happens. Jacob said, you thought we were never getting to verse 2, didn't you? (laughs) And Jacob said to his whole household and to all the people who are with him, all of his employees, and look what he tells them. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Jacob is saying, we've sinned and now let's repent. These foreign gods that are among you, you have foreign, yeah, we have foreign gods. Jacob walks through the house. He says, let's get rid of all of them, right? Look what he says. Then let us arise. And go up to Bethel, to the house of God. And I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Uh, Answered me in the day of distress. What day is he referring to? He's had a lot of distress. (laughs) Which day is he referring to? Way back 20-something years ago when his brother Esau wanted to kill him. Answered me then in the day, that's the first time he was at Bethel. And then look what he says after that. And has been with me in the way which I have gone. Which way has he gone since then? The wrong way. And he's still been with me. He's guided me. He hasn't given up on me. We're going to go worship that God, he says. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings, which were in their ears. Interesting. And Jacob hid them under the timberinth tree, which is in Shechem. Hid them doesn't mean like uh, put them in a safe deposit box. No, it means that he buried them permanently and said, good riddance forever. And this is significant because Jacob's cheap. And these were gold and silver relics, right? And what does he say to them? They're defiled and they have no part in our life and it cost him something. They cut them off. Verse five, and they journeyed. And look at this. The grace of God is unbelievable. And they journeyed. They've just murdered towns, right? Uh, They're despised. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob, or they did not attack Jacob and his tribes. Amazing. Do you know what that is? What is that? Divine protection. Why? Because Jacob deserves it? No, because God has plans for Jacob. And this is what it means to have unmerited favor. And this is God's promise to all who belong to him. This unmerited favor on our lives. I experience it all the time. And so do you, if you're walking in his ways, if if you make Jesus your Lord. This is what he promised to them. Uh, Here's a verse that shows us, Exodus 23, shows what it looks like. Let me hear you read this, a good thundering unified voice. I will send my fear before you. I will cause my confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. Uh, Divine protection, right? Uh, and Jacob goes through and he walks into to Bethel, uh, he and his whole tribe unscathed. Verse 6, so Jacob came to Luz. Uh, Luz was the name of, of Bethel before he changed the name. That is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and look at verse 7, this is really cool. Read, read these words with me. What does he say? And he built an altar there. Wow. Way to go, Jacob. Built a place of worship. And he called the place, what did he call it? El Bethel. Bethel. 
Now, I said that Bethel means what? House of God. Beth is house. El is God. He calls it El Bethel, which is kind of a dorky name. What does that mean? It means the God of the house of God. And you say, well, why the, is that necessary? Uh, it seems like a little verbose. Maybe we don't need that, right? Uh, here's, what, here's what's happened. Do you see it? Do you catch it? Do you, do you, did you grasp what just happened? You see, there are a lot of people who go to the house of God, but never to the God of the house of God. There are a lot of people who go to church, but never go to the Lord of the church. There's a lot of people who go to religion, but never go to the person, the God of religion. And Jacob here now realizes his error, and he goes to Bethel, and he said, oh, I called this place Bethel 20 years ago, the house of God, but now I'm coming to the God of the house of God. And may I say to you, big difference. Big difference. That's when your relationship with God becomes real. That's when you become a worshiper. Uh, And he built there an altar and he called the place El Bethel because God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother 20 years ago. Uh, Just amazing. Uh, Notice what happens here. Jacob was distraught. Jacob was despairing. Jacob was thinking of throwing in the towel. God tells him, get up. Go to the house of God. Build an altar. Dwell there, right? And now what happens? Look at who Jacob is. He's regenerated by God in the house of God. And Jacob becomes a spiritual leader in his family. Did you see it? Jacob sanctifies his family to God. He's never done this before. He goes through the house and he says, hey, we're canceling HBO. It's over. (laughs) And he goes through his daughter's room and he says, hey, no more Cosmo. Uh Uh-uh. And he buries it. And he puts internet filters on the computers. And he goes through all the drawers and he goes, oh, this ain't going to be in my house. No more vape pens, man. No more vape pens. And he goes through and he buries all that stuff and he tells his family, hey, we are wholehearted worshipers of God now. Sanctify yourself. Change your clothes. Give God your best. We're going to worship him. And he builds an altar and he tells his family, every Sabbath, man, we are going to be in the house of the Lord. Wow, way to go, Jacob. Way to go. I want you to know something Jacob had tried to be a leader in his family before, a spiritual leader, but here's the problem. A man cannot properly lead his family unless he himself is an ardent worshiper of God. It's just not possible. Do you know why? Because rules and regulations will ultimately fall on the floor. But a man who genuinely loves God will radically impact the life of every single member in his family. Pay attention, dads. Pay attention. Until your heart is a worshiper of God, until you go to the God of the house of God, you will never be a good spiritual leader in your family. It's not possible. Some interesting data has been revealed. Uh, I, have some, I looked at some data that was done by the Baptist Press and by Promise Keepers years back. And this is interesting. If a child is the first person in the family to become a Christian, a child gets saved, you know, teenager or whatever, they get saved. There's a 4% probability that the rest of the household will become Christians. If a mom is the first one in the family to become saved there is a 17% probability that the entire house will become Christians. However, when a dad is the first one to get saved, there is a 93% probability that the entire house will get saved. This is God's design, but you have to be a worshiper first. 
And now Jacob is a worshiper and his house will begin to change. Regeneration is in the house of God. And here we see Jacob repenting, moving forward in obedience to God. As he leads his family to God, he builds an altar and he says, this is where we're going to worship family. This is where we're going to be. This is who we are. Way to go, Jacob. And you know what God does when Jacob does this? We'll take a look. It's awesome. Verse 9. We'll close with this passage, <clears throat> these passages. Uh, actually, no, we won't. We're going to read a little further. <laughs> uh, look, what God, look what God does to Jacob, though. Look at verse. We're going to skip verse 8. We're going to come back to verse 8 next week, next Sunday. But let's go to verse 9. Let's see what, what God does after Jacob builds an altar and, 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 and leads his family. Verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again. Wow. When he came from Padam Aram, and he blessed him. Now, if you're thinking right now, you're going, wait a minute. Where did Jacob just come from? From Shechem. Good on you, you students of the word. I mean, way to go. Uh, he came from Shechem. He didn't come from Padam Aram. Why does God say Padan Aram here? Because God gave Jacob instruction in Padamaram to go where? To go to Bethel. And as far as God's concerned, it's all been one long journey. And God says now, when he appears to Jacob again, when he came from Padamaram, you finally left where I told you and went to where I told you, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. And Jacob said, man, don't I know it. Your name shall not be Jacob, be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. And you might want to write the Hebrew word right there. I am El Shaddai. And God reveals himself to Jacob as El Shaddai for the first time. Jacob did not know that name of God before personally. Uh, these are the next to last words that God spoke to Jacob. God spoke to Jacob six times. This is the fifth time God spoke to Jacob. And here God tells Jacob once again, Jacob, your name is Israel. And that was an important reminder to Jacob because Jacob had just again fell headlong in being who? In being Jacob. His kids were murderous, his daughter, all those things. And man, how refreshing to remember, uh, wow, no, my plan for you hasn't changed. I'm still going to make you into Israel. And Jacob hears it and he goes, yeah, I know you told me this before, but it just seems far-fetched, man. I try, but I'm such a mess. How will it ever be? How are you going to make me into Israel again? Jacob? Swindler, deceiver, Israel, governed by God. Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish. How could it ever be? And Jacob, wondering how this could ever be, God does something interesting. He reveals himself to Jacob as El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Jacob, this is my work in your life, and I will bring it to pass. Reminds me of the verse in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to what? Complete it into the day of Christ Jesus. El Shaddai? Yeah, God had revealed himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty, to Abraham a century ago when Abraham was 99 years old. And God had made a covenant with him that he was going to be the father of many nations. And he still didn't have any kids. And at 99, he had tried. He said, I'll do it in my own strength. And he had gone into another woman, Hagar, and had Ishmael. And God says, no, 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 that's not my deal. But now time has gone by. And Abraham is now impotent. His body is good as dead, if you will. Sarah is menopausal. And still no child. And God comes to him and says, Abraham, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. 
And by this time next year, you will have a son from your own body. And Abraham goes, wow. And God did it. All his doing. God tells Jacob, Jacob, your name is Jacob, but your name is, is Israel, man. You're Israel. And Jacob goes, how in the world is I am El Shaddai? And it'll be by my power. This is done. The almighty God who protects the almighty God who provides, the almighty God who builds his men, the almighty God who takes broken, selfish, sinful lives and regenerates them in the house of God into the children of God. By his word being poured into them, by his truth being given to them, he raises the dead, he gives sight to the blind, he calls light out of darkness, and he turns Jacob's into Israel. He is the almighty God. You know, I love watching him do his work. It's amazing. I'm watching it in your lives. Just after last service, I had a woman come up to me, tears in her eyes. My husband is not the same man as when we started coming to this church. And my marriage is not the same marriage. And I can't believe what God has done. El Shaddai. Jacob's to Israel. This is his way. And he's always doing his work. Look what he tells Jacob. Uh, verse 11. God said to him, uh, Jacob, your name's not going to be Jacob. It's Israel. It's going to be by my power. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now be fruitful and multiply. Go get about the work I've called you to do. A nation is going to come from you. The nation Israel. My covenant is with you. It is unchangeable. It is forever. Uh, I'm going to make you a great nation. Not only you, not only the nation Israel, but a company of nations shall proceed from you. And kings shall come from your body. Well, let's just see. Did that happen? Well, yeah, it happened. You see, there was a king named David. And he was a mighty warrior. And yet he was also a sweet psalmist. He was a brutal warrior. He was also a tender heart. And he was the king of Israel. And he came through Jacob's lineage. And there was a man named Solomon. And he was the king of Israel. When Israel was the strongest nation on the face of the earth, he ruled the entire world. And God gave him incredible wisdom. And there was a man named Esau, and he brought reform into Israel. And, and there was a man named Jehoshaphat, and there was a, a king named, named Hezekiah. Uh, there was a king named Uzziah. There was a king named Jesus. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the one that came through Jacob's lineage. Jacob, I have big plans for you, man. If you only knew, kings are going to come from you. Verse 12, and the land which I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give this land. It is your land forever. It doesn't matter how bad you mess up, Israel. It is your land it doesn't matter who comes against you, Israel. It is your land. And even gas chambers will not prevail against you. It is your land. Verse 13. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. Can you imagine what Jacob got to see? God ascends back into heaven. And so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where God, he, God, talked with him a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. He was just worshiping there at the altar he had built. And, and he said, uh, uh, Lord, you know, just, just his heart being pour, poured out. A drink offering, by the way, uh, here men first mentioned in the Bible, uh, long before Levitical law, uh, and here Jacob is a worshiper, right? Verse 15, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke to him, Bethel. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.